It's Monday, August 15th, and we have Deb Freeman of Setting the Table, the number one food podcast on Apple Food Podcasts. We have some closings, we have some new openings, and we answer a question from Pepper the Chef. Welcome to Eat It Virginia. Welcome to Eat It Virginia, your number one podcast source for food, news, and interviews with the people who make Richmond restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat It Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, leave a review and give us a five-star rating. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. The Pepper the Chef segment, is it taking off, Roby? So we've got a lot of questions. I actually... That was a good to, idea by you, by the way. It had nothing to do with it. Round of applause. Uh, yes. You, you came up with the name. I'm proud. I will say, we got a lot of questions. We got Jason Alley coming up to answer a question. We got maybe Lee Gregory coming up to um, answer a question. Maybe Donnie Glass of Grisette. We're going to answer all the questions. These are a few of my favorite people. Lo- I love them all. I also love our new our guest this week, who I had not met until she came to the studio to interview with us. So I wanted to thank you for setting up Deb Freeman. Give the folks a little little taste of what we're about to hear. So Deb is, well, she's navigating through all of the black foodways that, fr- frankly, I didn't know much about. And bringing guests on, talking about them on Setting the Table podcast, which is a podcast you can find at Whetstone Media or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, owned by Stephen Statterfield, who does High on the Hog on um, Netflix. And you said to me, and you said to Deb, and Deb said to us that she has the number one food podcast, not in Richmond, not in Virginia, not even in the good old USA, but in the world Yes. Like, do you remember she was talking about like countries that she just happened to look and like all of a sudden she was number one in like Malaysia? She's like a podcast superstar. She really is. She told us the stories of her upbringing and what got her into the podcast game and, you know, her next, her plans for the future. So, yet she has no plans on telling you what's in her chicken and dumplings, though. I recall. (laughs) Stick around for that interview in a moment. From the number one food podcast in the world to the second best podcast in Richmond. Yet again, the readers of Richmond Magazine have spoken, and we have earned the silver medal. Can I call myself Susan Lucci? Because that's what I really want to call myself. Is that okay? Can I, mean, I, I say that? I think it's that? okay. I mean, I think we should be very proud, Roby. We, I am proud. I am proud. I am. I would like to thank the Richmond Magazine and the, what else other things? Uh, the publishers of Richmond Magazine and the readers of Richmond Magazine. I'd also like to... Talk about my fellow, were there even nominees? I feel like... For those of you keeping a score at home, this podcast, we started this humble podcast in 2019, and so that's 2019, 2021, now we're in, this is four years in a row. Four years. Four years in a row. Eat It Virginia has been voted the second best podcast in Richmond, and I believe each year, a different number one podcast in Richmond. (laughs) I don't think anyone has repeated as the number one podcast (laughs) in Richmond. We have... Repeated four times, back to back to back to back. <laughs> Second best podcast in Richmond. We're like a dynasty. Is it Nelly that says two is not a winner and three no one remembers? I think it was Nelly. I'm not sure. <laughs> I said it's getting hot in here, uh, right? That's all about all I remember about one. Nelly. It's getting hot in here. Something's going to happen after that. Anyway, congratulations to Mark Cheatham because that is, he does all the great things and hip hop culture is Something I am very, very excited to hear about when he talks about it. So you guys should head over there to the Cheats movement and listen he to that. He talks about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Politics, wrestling, <laughs> wrestling, culture, baseball. Why do you say it like that? Wrestling. I do want to make one little <laughs> note about Mark, though. So like some colleges, some universities are known as like linebacker. Like University of Miami is like linebacker U. All the great linebackers <laughs> come out of Miami. And there's like quarterback U. I think it's like Pittsburgh, maybe. I think Tucker High School is podcaster you. Really? Because Mark Cheatham and I went to high school together. We have the number one and number two degrees of Scott Wise. Go Tucker. What the big question on my mind is did you actually vote this year? Because this has been an ongoing controversy. For Mark Cheatham. You voted for Mark. (laughs) Well, that explains it. You know what else somebody is second best at that you should, um, Mark Cheatham? I know you're going to be a part of this. They've asked me to come back for the Celebrity Bake Off at 
next move. Table oh, spin. nice. Do we yes. have a date on that yet? It's going to be like sometime in September or November when it gets, or September or October when it gets a little chillier. Um, Lat two, three, four, I don't know how many years ago, panda, before the panda times. Yes. I, I don't remember those times very well. BPT. Um, I was so close to winning. <laughs> you came in second. I don't even know where I came in. Nobody would tell just, us. Just not first. I gave the judges shots. This is Elizabeth Redford? This is Elizabeth Redford. Reba MCs it. We had, Reba and I had a great time. I did not win. Well, I will come and vote for Mark Cheatham. Thank you. <laughs> We are a restaurant podcast, yes, at least <laughs> somewhere in the name we talk about restaurants. Do you we have any do. restaurant news to share? Maybe? I have a few things. So both of our major vegan restaurants have closed. Bad news. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Um, Hank's Base over there in Midlothian, I guess, Chesterfield area, April Vire and David Witty have shuttered. I think you'll still see some of their stuff around town, just not in a brick and mortar. And then Sadia's has shuttered, and I guess she was in Jackson Ward. Yeah, the juice box. Mm-hmm. I do like their. I do like one of their vitamin C shots. I always felt like I was like getting my immune system like back together. A couple new openings are soon to be new openings. I could talk around one, and I could tell you about one directly. Which one would you like? Let's do direct and then around. All right, directly, we have a new tenant over in the old Seco slash Buddies space. So Robinson and Stewart, right? Right there in the fan. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Gersey is gonna is coming in. They're not closing where they are now, so you can get mashed into a side table with 30 of your non-best friends at their Italian restaurant right there. But they are opening a Mediterranean-inspired. We'll go with that because obviously we haven't seen the menu in the Charlie Dirador owned building that once was Seco. And those buddies before that, as you mentioned. Yes. Very nice. You know, Gersey reminds me of a question I want to raise in the podcast one day. How to pronounce restaurant names? Because I see that and I've said Jersey and I've said Gersey, right? Yep. But it's Gersey. I think it's Gersey. Okay. And then how do you pronounce Dynamo? Again, Dynamo yep. or Dynamo. Yep. And then there's I say Jardine or Jardin, which is Donnie Glass's place in the fan. And I say Harden. And you say Harden. Mm-hmm. Lasia is mm-hmm. another one. It's like, you know, we need like, we need pronouncers on all these. Uh, you, what is that thing called? They put underneath the words in the dictionary, the phonetic spelling of it. We I feel like the need There you go. I'm smarter than I look. Um, <laughs> you can, you, we need those underneath the restaurant. Tomato, tomato. There it is. What was the restaurant you wanted to talk around? So... I don't know if you are aware, but Billy Pie has vacated the spot right there across the street from the Publix on the Three Chopped. Billy Pie is a very easy rest, easy name to say. That's that's mm-hmm. that's pretty basic. But they, yes, I did see that. Yes, moving to South or moved already to Manchester. They've in Basic City reopened. I put that in air quotes because you guys can't see me as a to-go pasta in the Elwood Thompson's Cafe with Caleb Shriver, who everybody's asking where the guys from Dutch and Company went. There is your reopening. So sauces and fun to go things there. We have a seafood restaurant. Okay. We'll be slowing her speech. I am. I can't because I can't. Trying to drop some hints here. I can't tell you exactly who, but there aren't that many good seafood restaurants in Richmond and surrounding areas. So think of the ones that are good. I'm going to ask you a question that you may or may not be able to answer. Okay. The owners, the the forces behind this good seafood restaurant, are they people who we've interviewed on the podcast before, or is that something you cannot disclose? So I'm going to say maybe. Awesome. (laughs) You should be a politician. Yes, I should. But just know that I'm pretty stoked about it. And when they get the news, well, they have the news, but when they are able to tell us the news, I'm hopeful that they will. Awesome. So we have this new segment that we came up with called Pepper the Chef, where you, the listener, send us, the podcast host, questions that you want us to ask your favorite chefs. Pepper them with questions. And we are going directly to them. So you will hear the voices of the chefs, hopefully. Perhaps maybe they'll just send me a text message and we'll read them off. So our first question, we're going a little international. We are. What Weirdly, I wasn't expecting that, but yep. Yeah, so the first question was for Chef Donnie Glass from Crissette and Jardin. Harden. Or Harden. Who called us? We had a question for him, and Roby texted him, Hey, chef, can you answer this question? He said, Sure. He calls us. He's on a freaking train in France. 
He is in southern France and his employees, his two managers and stuff are coming to meet him. He'd been traveling for 172,420 hours. But he had time to answer your question. And here's what we got. Let's pepper the chef. (laughs) Hi, friend. I'm going to record you. This is a weird situation and I'm sorry, but I love that you're so available. That's okay. I am on the TGV. Uh, almost to Perpignan. I'm in southern France right now. Bonjour, monsieur. You are calling us from southern France? You're the best thing ever. I have internet, I have internet for the next like 30 minutes, and then I'm not going to have it for a while. So I was like, uh, whatever. And I've only talked to a two-year-old all day. So We've received questions for lots of chefs in Richmond. Like they would like to know what's in that. We probably will never get this answer. What's in the spicy sauce um, at Mama Zoo's. They'd like to talk to Jason Alley about his banana creme brulee. They have questions for Lee and Bo on how they clean their fish. And they have a question for you. Sure. So we got a message asking how you decide what to put on your menu at Grisette because it's all good, but there has to be something that you love putting on your menu that you actually hate putting on your menu. What is that? Oh, God. Um, at this point, we're reaching, you know, we're in our third year. So we have, like, early Grisette classics already. Um and I'm lucky that I don't have a boss. So if I don't want to put something on the menu, I just don't. Um, but I found myself like leaning back on last summer and the summer before and the summer before his dishes and tweaking them to making them, you know, a little bit better, um, improving upon them if we can, um, or just simply doing them again because there's a reason we did them in the first place. Um, but as far as like my week to week menu goes, it's, um, it's all based on availability. It's a hundred percent based on availability. So if I can't get, you know, the, the quality of stuff that I want, then it doesn't make the cut. And this time of year, it's tricky because everything is available and you have to narrow it down to like, you know, four entrees and two small plates and that's it so nothing you love to hate i don't hate any of it (laughs) you understand what i'm saying like you don't think oh i've got to make this sauce i love it so much but it takes 42 hours oh god i made chicken valentines a couple weeks ago which are like you bone out a whole bird and then you make a chicken stuff or make a chicken farce or the sausage with another bird and you stuff that bird with it and um I was like, I was feeling ambitious and I wanted to make 10 of them so we could run them as a special all weekend. And I bit off way more than I could chew. And about halfway through the project, I was like, God, like, uh, and I remember taking a picture of all of my knees and sending it to Johnny, uh, Johnny Mayer. And, and he goes, damn, nobody, nobody stands over top of 10 chicken balancines these days. Like, Good for you. <laughs> he was like, that's, some, that's masochistic, sir. So it's the chicken valentine that takes you down to your knees. It's delicious, but awful. It did. And worth it once or twice a year. (laughs) When I'm like, oh, I could could work an extra five hours this week. Let me run this dumb special that you can only charge 28 bucks for because it's chicken. But it's really good. (laughs) It's really good. Um, And it's worth it. But yeah, that's, if, if I had to say, I don't hate any of it. But when you're in the middle of that prep, it is. It, it can be like, it can be miserable, especially with my soft, my like soft restaurant owner, uncalloused hands, you know. <laughs> so, you know, that's it. There you have it, guys. Straight from the south of France, Donnie Glass of Grisette and Harden. He tells us what he loves to kind of dislike. It's the Chicken Valentine, 10 chickens. Thanks so much, Donnie. So great of Donnie to take time out of his vacation to answer this question. Now I'm jealous. So if people want to pepper the chef, how can they do it, Roby? So there's lots of ways you can do it. You can just come to the CBS studio, check in at front and ask Scott the question and he'll write it down. (laughs) You can reach out over our Instagrams, which are at eatitvirginia, at callmeroby, and at scott underscore wise. Or you can send us a message at eatitvirginia.com 
at gmail.com, but we rarely check those, so best thing is Instagram. That's right, and that actually leads us nicely into our interview because uh, Deb Freeman and her business partners emailed us in 2021 about possibly getting together for a podcast interview, and of course, we read this email in 2022. Fortunately, we did because Deb graciously appeared on our podcast, and here she is, Deborah Freeman, the number one food podcast host in the galaxy. Thanks y'all for having me, by the way. That's super awesome of y'all. Well, here's a funny thing that Scott sent to me. Um, I'm actually going to read it when we start Uh recording. Okay. Because I think this is a really interesting email that... We are recording. (laughs) So Scott sent this to me on June 15th, um, 2022. Um, We do have... It was sent to our Eat It Virginia podcast... Let me find the right one. So Fitz, do you know who Fitz is? I, I'm aware of who Fitz is. Just in case anybody wonders who we have with us today, we have Deborah Freeman, you go by Deb, mm-hmm. of the number one podcast <laughs> on Apple Food Podcast, Setting the Table. And Fitz is whom to you? Uh, he's an acquaintance now. <laughs> no, he. Oh, we weren't involved with that. What was his, no, you know? it, it's what it was. No, he's he's a he's my partner and and you know and just you know my boyfriend. I feel like old. One, you know, I say, oh, he's my boyfriend, but um, but he's my partner, um, and that's who Fitz is. And so Fitz sent us an email, um, last year. <laughs> <laughs> Asking if we'd be interested in having you on the podcast. Great stuff, right? I assumed it was in June. when A recent email. A recent email, because Scott <laughs> forwarded it to me in June. At the bottom of it, it's like, Roby, we'd love to meet you. Scott, we'd love to meet you. And I say to Scott, A, I have met her she's so busy she doesn't remember <laughs> and b i just had dinner with them <laughs> I'm like, what is it i'm like completely- quite an impression apparently yes. i'm like well how is it that i am so forgettable <laughs> this is like what i'm saying to scott right oh which i'm gosh. totally fine with i'm completely fine with being forgettable clearly you are yeah obviously oh i'm bringing God. it up now so i'm obviously very fine with being forgettable <laughs> and scott goes do you know when that email was sent? And I was like, no. He said, well, we've forgotten our Eat It Virginia Gmail. We check it often. He was like, it was sent last year. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> I was like, I sat next to them at dinner. I shared an entree with you them. Did. You did. <laughs> I was like, they don't know me? Oh, gosh. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thank We're you. very excited to have you. I'm Scott. That intro. Yes. Ooh, wow. That's I'm telling you. Ruby loves these build-ups. I do. I really, I really like to give the entire I mean, because I don't want anybody to feel left out of our life, Deb. I mean, come on. We have a life together now, and you don't love me. You're moving to Amelia. What is going on? What happened was, really, Deb, we got logged out of our, our Eat Virginia email, oh. and it took me about a year to get the logged plot, back the, in. The plot oh, thickens. my gosh. <laughs> Not why, something I knew. That is why the email was responded to so, in such a tardy fashion. Not because uh, <laughs> we didn't want you to have on last summer, but better late than never, right? I, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about setting the table. Um, as we, because we Scott likes to get into everybody's history. So real quick across the board, you have done eight episodes. Ten. Cheesy peasy. Ten episodes. That's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. Um, it's a lot of work. What you do. Um, walk us through the premise of setting the table yeah. and how you got to it. Yeah, sure. So Setting the Table um, is a podcast on Whetstone Radio Collective, and uh, essentially each episode kind of lays the, the premise out, making the argument that you know, American food has been started by African Americans, and each episode lays out the case for why. And so, you know, I've had on 
amazing guests, Carla Hall. Um, I've had on Adrian Miller, who just wrote Black Smoke. I've had on uh, just really amazing people who have contributed to the culinary scene um, and really helped bolster that argument. And how that got started was a DM on Twitter uh, to Stephen Satterfield, who is the creator of Whetstone Media and all things Whetstone. Um, and so we had been conversing a few times for a few years. Um, we followed each other a while ago. And then I saw he was looking for a host. And I sent him a DM. And I was like, hey, what's up? And um, and so he was like, hey, let's talk. And I pitched him his idea. And the rest is history, as they say. So the number one, Roby said, what was the stat you, you shared? Apple Food Podcasts number one. And it was number one in Canada, uh, charted in France, Germany, Russia, China, Barbados, number one. Yeah. So obviously <laughs> when you go into something like this, you, you, you have hopes for yourself. You have confidence in yourself. You think yeah. it's going to be a successful project. Mm-hmm. Did you ever imagine this level of success? No. <laughs> I was just like, Are my, is my family going to listen to it? Are my friends going to listen to it? Like, you know, I was hoping that someone would listen to it. I did not know that people all over the world would listen to it. Um, and so I was just really caught off guard because, you know, I was just like, all right, I'm going to check the the stats. I'm going to check the chart. And then when it said number one, I almost fell out the chair. I was just like, wait, wait. Because <laughs> I just, I, I thought it would be, it would do well, but I didn't know it would be like a worldwide thing. I had no idea. We know how we do our podcast. You know, it's pretty sophisticated over here as well. I mean, it's, Weeks of research and booking. And- by Roby. <laughs> Weeks of research, of, years of research by Roby, by the way. Years. And then Scott, who does everything else. <laughs> Thank you. Like, I'm glad I got, like, I'm glad I got literally everything else. <laughs> All right. I was kind of nervous there. I wasn't no. sure where you were going. And Scott just shows up. No, I'm joking. He does everything else. You joke that. It's, it's my equipment. That's why. I, that's why I'm here. These 10 episodes, clearly a lot of work. Clearly, you're not the only person involved. What does it take to get these episodes from your brain to people's podcast feeds? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. (laughs) So it starts in my brain, obviously, but then I start sketching out, okay, so this is a topic I want to pursue. So I'll go back to baking in Carla Hall, for example. I knew I wanted to do something about black baking because I wrote an article on Yellow Cake where people that I did not know were sending me pictures of their grandmothers and their mothers and sharing their memories and, you know, crying about, oh, my God, you know, you have this touch. So I was like, so things like that kind of spark, oh, this might be an interesting podcast. So I lay out, well, who I like to talk to, who would be interesting to talk to. And so, you know, Cheryl Day, who wrote an incredible book, James Beard nominated, um, you know, she she was kind enough to say yes, and Carla Hall was kind enough to say yes. And so then once I get the guests, um, my producer, Marvin, who is incredible, he, you know, reaches out, does the bookings. But, you know, and while he's doing that, I'm kind of thinking of questions and researching what they've done, how, how you know, what they've what they're doing is relevant to what I'm asking them, you know, that sort of thing. And so I'm researching random questions and then they come on the show, we record it, and then obviously the editing team takes over and music gets added and then I go back through and look at the script and start tightening up from there, reading, you know, re-recording things, that whole thing. Like, it's an insane process. Um, one that I'm not sure I knew how many voiceovers I would have to do. I did not know that. Um, but it's, it's an incredible process. But it takes a team, for sure. It definitely takes a team. Now, do you, for the 10-episode season, um, which is available, obviously, wherever you get mm-hmm. your favorite podcasts, um, are you writing, are you doing them, like, week, literally doing them week by week, or are you doing 10 and then... The season's over. I'm doing the, so every week from the time production starts until that last episode drops. I'm either talking to a guest, I'm writing out a script, I'm recording something. So really, that those weeks, I'm just doing everything for different episodes um, and running up against the clock, obviously, because every Tuesday they they have to drop. Oh, we know the feeling. You know what I mean? So it's like. Um, Deb, I know it's, you know, 11.55, but I need you to just say blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, okay, let me, oh, okay. Excuse me while I go set up, clear my throat, exactly. get my head in the right space. Oh, of course. Yeah, yes, of course. 
course. Because that stuff just comes right out <laughs> off the cuff. Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. I told that's a lot. So one whole episode takes what would you say man hours to produce? Oh my goodness. So on the front woman hours, Roby. <laughs> woman hours. On the front end with research and, and reading probably like between depending on how much I already know, five to ten hours of prep and then Gosh, I have no idea how long it takes to edit, but they're so fast and they're so good at what they do. I would probably say each episode takes maybe 30 hours, maybe. Maybe. Sure, but that's a I mean, lot I of have, man hours. I mean, I know. Woman hours. Woman hours. <laughs> man Thanks, and God. woman hours. Yes. People hours. <laughs> People hours. <laughs> Human hours. Since you do it week by week, you obviously mm-hmm. were able to do one or two before getting some feedback. Mm-hmm. How did that feedback uh, influence the f- from the beginning, influenced the future episodes? It actually did not change my process. Um, The feedback that I got was so positive and so encouraging and so kind is the word that I would use, you know, because I was hesitant to read the reviews. I was very hesitant. (laughs) Smart. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I was like, I I have to do it. And so, like, everyone was just really gracious and really lovely. Um, I will say that one of the... um, a, a feedback that I did get was like, oh, well, Deb, you need to give more of you. You need to talk about more of you. I'm like, no, it's not about me. It's about my guests. It's about the topic. Um, so I tried to do that, you know, whenever I felt that was appropriate. Um, but honestly, I didn't change much because I, I w- was very clear when I came up with this idea of what I wanted to do, and I was going to stick to it. So, <laughs> uh, because I just believed in it that much, I believed in what I was doing that much. That was that was not really going to deviate. So some people want to learn more about you. Uh, Who would that be? I know. I don't know if you know about this, but I've spent some time with them. <laughs> well, let's ask Deb. I want to ask you about no, Deb. So Scott always Deb. asks about the history of the, of the human on the podcast. He likes to hear about what you did in your childhood. Oh, what, where you went to high school. Should I pull up a couch? Uh, uh, yes. He likes to, every single detail. So this is, he's making a joke right now because I'm really interested in your now. Mm-hmm. He's really interested in well, the your... the feedback she got before. Podcast. People want to know about her. Uh, of course, of course. But like, th- this is a him. It happens all the time. So it's cool okay. that this stuff's yeah. there. So, yes. So, Deb, what yes. did you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> Honestly, I wanted to uh, I wanted to be an attorney. That was what I thought I was going to do. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Norfolk. Oh. Yeah. And so I just, I liked to read a lot and I liked to write. And so I just thought that I was going to be arguing cases the next Thurgood Marshall in front of the Supreme Court. And that quickly changed uh, after I got out of college. Um, I come? I started working in politics. I started working on Capitol Hill. That was my first job out of college and as an exec assistant. For whom? For Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas, 18th District. And um, and at that point, I was like, okay, so politics. I really like this. This is wild. Um, and so I stayed in politics for years and years and years. Um, and, and so it just it never occurred to me to go back to law school because I think at that point I had my daughter and I was just like, yeah, I've seen the inspirational people, the stories of people who've done that with a child and a family. And I was also a military wife at the time. And so we were moving around. And so it just didn't really fit into my plans at that point. What well, was it about politics that, that I think it was the pace. It's yeah. not the same every day. And when I started working there and I will totally age myself, um, that was when Clinton was impeached. And so, uh, SJL, Sheila Jackson Lee, she was on the Judiciary Committee. And so it was like, you know, I had worked there a month when all this started. And so it was like, Ken Starr, and oh my God, we, you know, we got to read these pages. And so I'm reading the pages of like, what happened? I was like, oh, this is not what I thought this job was going to be. And, you know, and so it was just, I was really, you know, taken with the pace and, and, and the scope and really the, the seriousness of what was going on and also the theater of it because there's a so theater much theater aspect. in that particular yeah. time period. Exactly. And, well, and now. And now. Yeah, sure. I guess it'll be always. Yeah, so be that was an interesting mix for me and so I, I got the bug, as they say. So, What moved you from politics to the next phase of your life? Yeah, so I think I just moving around, I think, because I was married to someone in the Navy I think it just not necessarily by choice. It was like, well, if I want my family to be together, I'm going to have to move every two years. So I think it was just 
it was it just was something that had to be done, not something I necessarily would have done if I didn't have a family, if that makes sense. And so um, so we moved to California, we moved to North Carolina, we moved to Maryland, so we moved all around. Um, and so after selling back down in Virginia Beach, um, after my divorce a few years ago, so I guess this would be like eight years ago or so, I think, um, it really started thinking, all right, well, what do you want for yourself? What do you want for your life now that you don't have to move and worry about what your next duty station is? And and so then I started thinking about writing again, but I wrote an awful music blog. It was terrible. You know it wasn't awful. I love that you always call oh, no. it awful. No, it, it was, was read. bad. People read it. And they and they laughed, and that was not necessarily my intent, I think. <laughs> so, like, I, I think she thinks that people were laughing at her, but it was not the case at all. It was it was it let's be real, it was very well written. Sure, it was. It was all about my dang life and music, and it was just, it was special. It was well, a very special time. No, it does not. Can no. I on the way back <laughs> The Internet Archive? But I, I can. I, well, let's hope I not. I think as soon as she got as famous as she is, she yanked that thing right down. <laughs> <laughs> famous is relative. I'm not famous at all. <laughs> Everything is relative. But, yes, I think that, I mean, I thought it, I read it, you know that. Um, we talked about this. It was God, I feel like she thinks if I say it was funny, she's going to think I was laughing you at her. Was funny. Yes, but I wasn't. I want to make sure that I'm very specific that it was not at her. But that's what threw you into writing. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always enjoyed writing, and, but that was the first time I wrote for a non-professional reason. And so then fast forward to a few years after that, not many, maybe three years after that, um, I wrote an article for Southern Grip magazine and which is a food publication out of Hampton Roads. And so that's really where I started writing about food. So probably five years ago, I started writing about it. And that's where I was like, okay, this feels good. This feels right. This is what I'm supposed to be doing and kind of marrying these stories of people. Food is the hook, but the story of the person is really what I'm trying to get people to think about and read about. So what are your earliest food memories? Oh, my God, my Nana. My Nana. Um, I came home every day and there was food like this, like chicken and dumplings, it, you know, collard greens, like meat, like all of these like heavy, <laughs> these heavy meals, which I know I'm not sure if I should have been eating like at 3 p.m. every day. <laughs> but like, but I would come home and she made all this stuff from scratch and it was just incredible. So like my earliest memory is like waiting to get off the bus to be like, all right, so what's, what's for dinner? What are we doing? What are we eating? What's going on? Um, and, and so she was the one who really kind of sparked the interest because she was an amazing cook. I mean, just absolutely amazing. And so, um, and she loved food and she loved talking about food. So she passed that enthusiasm on to me. Are you a good cook? I'm a good cook on about certain things. I can't cook everything, but there are things I'm insanely good at. And then everything else is like, mm. <laughs> what are your specialties? I think um so I make a really good meatloaf. Um, Don't knock that. That's I not make a strong meatloaf. A strong meatloaf. What's your secret? I, I can't it tell you that. It wouldn't be a secret. I cannot so tell you that. This is your podcast. This is not the number one podcast. <laughs> no one's listening. This is the wow. That yeah, I mean, like, someone's listening. Like, <laughs> we the second best podcast in Richmond, as we, voted by the. We are speaking into a void. So tell us, sir. This is number one. No one's listening. Well, for the three people in Amelia, can we tell you? Wait, seriously, they're all related to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so they already know your secret. Okay. They do. (laughs) So it's done now. Never mind. We don't need to know it. Moving on from meatloaf, what else do you cook? Um, I make really great, amazing braised short ribs. I mean, like those, I think that's something that I've cultivated in the past like few months. I'm not going to ask you about them. Next. You're, you're done? Well, she's not telling me anything about him, so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's a little bit of so I know. <laughs> did you see him? I did. Right? That was a little abrupt. Like, yeah. what? Oh, what's what's happening? I've got a love-love relationship over here. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about him, but tell me about them. <laughs> um, what was your Nana's name? Helen Perkins. I don't want, I listened to several of your episodes. I'm not listening to all 10. Mm-hmm. I listened to several of them. And the importance of sharing the generational knowledge from your grandmother's generation, mm-hmm. her, her parents' generation, down to, you know, 
modern day men and women. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Why is that so important in your mind? Two reasons. One, that's a way for me, I think, to connect with my grandmother. Even She's no longer with us. She's been gone for a while. But whenever I'm recreating something that she did, I'm connecting with her, you know, and so I kind of feel like she's close to me. So that's definitely a thing for me, absolutely. But I think that um, because in the black community, historically, a lot of things have not been written down. A lot of history is oral history. And so it's important to continue to, well, one, to start writing those things down, but two, to really continue to talk about it. Otherwise, it's going to die out. You know, I think about... Um, I wrote an article about spoon bread a few months ago. And so that's one of those things that's dying out. You can't find spoon bread everywhere. Like, that's not, oh, let me just go grab some spoon bread tonight. Like, that, like that's not even an option, you know? And so unless we're writing these things down, unless we're talking about these things, then they're going to just die out. Like, you're not going to be able to even know what that was 50 years ago. Somebody's going to go, what the hell is spoon bread? You know? Um, so I think it's important to keep those memories going from a personal level, but from a professional, if you want to say, level, is to continue those recipes so that they exist, you know, throughout time. There's like a common denominator in, I think, in everything that you you do, which I I know that you realize, but I want to make sure that I say it out loud. It's almost always an heirloom trajectory with you. Mm -hmm. Um, As you know, I'm very interested in your watermelon chronicles (laughs) because, I mean, I find the fact that you're growing heirloom seeds essentially in probably soil that they're not supposed to be grown in and doing quite well with that. I'm also interested because I'm from Virginia, very near where you're getting ready to move, Mm -hmm. Amelia, and I love the idea that our history as Virginians includes barbecue. Oh my God. You know that I love this. Yeah. And so in within the heirloom frame, tell me what you know about barbecue in the state of Virginia. Yeah. And well, just say it. Say the whole okay, state. All right. But before I say I just I do want to give props to Fitz for like really growing some, you know, amazing, <laughs> incredible hormones that are like 30, 40 pounds and they're still sweet and they're just Oh my God! Fitz. <laughs> Fitz and his watermelon. So I just I just want to say that like Fitz is like the master watermelon grower. Um, but as far as barbecue, barbecue was created in Virginia, and so I'm about oh, to get on my soapbox. Records <laughs> stop. Barbecue was created in Virginia. Amer- all right, American barbecue. Let me re- let me be very correct. American barbecue started here in Virginia, and so um, really the. It was the combination of Native Americans, enslaved African Americans, and Europeans. That mixture was not happening anywhere else at the time. And so you've got pigs from Europeans and vinegar. You've got some smoking techniques from Native Americans. And then you've got the, you know, not only the seasoning techniques of Africans and then later African Americans, but really knowing how to cook something low and slow, and it's all done at the same time. You know, it's a skill. You're putting a pig, you're putting a hog, you know, on a, on a fire outside. And so the pork loin does not cook at the same time as the ham, which doesn't cook the same as the, you know, the bacon piece. Like, none of these are cooking at the same temperature, but they're all doing it perfectly. And so that that's something that only happened in Virginia and people need to be a proud of it if you're from Virginia and B let's talk about it because people aren't talking about it. I agree. I wish we talked about it more because I think that understanding over flame cooking hard, hard, hard to do Mm -hmm. even in a concentrated environment. Um, The length, I mean, we're speaking of hours and Mm -hmm. hours and hours of work. And then the fact that it clearly tasted good because now it's been it's spider webbed mm-hmm. to other places in in the nation mm-hmm. i just think the whole thing is mind-blowing to me well i mean i think we don't often think about it so once you get the hog right so you've got to cut the wood to make the coals and then you're constantly cutting wood you're constantly making coals and that's like all throughout the process. And so you're feeding, you know, the coals underneath the hog while it's cooking. You're basting it. You're flipping it. This is like not 
this is not child's play. This is not a game because it's very easy to overcook a section. It's very easy to undercook a session section and kill someone. You know, honestly, sure. You know, particularly think about four hundred years ago, like when trichinosis was actually a thing, right? Right. You know, what I mean, so this is something that people don't talk about, and I really, really think people don't talk about the enslaved African Americans who are doing that work. You know, and so because of what they did, we now have an American staple a Virginian staple um, that we should all be proud of. And so it's not St. Louis. It's not Kansas City. Texas barbecue is not, is more like European kind of, you know, we're not even going to get into that. That's not even, it's American barbecue, but as adapted from a European technique, because that's more like smoking rather than barbecue. But that's, we're getting in the weeds <laughs> now. Podcast. We're getting way in the but weeds. it is good to have the delineation, right? Yeah, I mean, there is a, there is a thing. And so because these African Americans were so skilled, you know, they, they were, you know, people would advertise, all right, so, you know, this particular, you know, enslaved person is cooking this day and they, and you, they became known for those things. And so as they, you know, were unfortunately sold throughout the country and then later in the Great Migration, then you're taking these techniques to other places in the country. As Virginia, we haven't really done a great job being an ambassador for what we started. And so I'm hoping that people are starting to see the light and jumping on the train. Why do you think that is? Why, why isn't Virginia grabbing well, the mantle like, like North Carolina? Or well, like? here's why I think. I have a theory. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so here's my theory. I think Virginia barbecue is centered around community versus commodity. So you're, there are some Virginia-style restaurants still in the state, but that was not really the purpose of a barbecue. It was for political functions. It was for family functions. It was for community functions. That's why you have barbecue. And so, you know, to... It's, it's not really based in that restaurant tradition the way it is in other states. And so I think that we have not kind of taken that to the next level because it is still very much community-based and people still do it all around the state, but not, but we don't talk about it. And I think not because we don't think it's important, but because it's almost like an everyday thing. Like, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and have a barbecue. Like, it's super casual as opposed to something grandiose, if that makes sense. And so I think that's, really why why it hasn't come to fruition but there are places to original ronnie's like they're doing virginia style barbecue redemption uh barbecue and market they're doing virginia barbecue and using only virginia products like there are still places that you can go that are great examples of what virginia barbecue is so it's an event not a product which is a very cool thing and i'm, I'm hopeful that maybe we'll con- we'll get back into the I mean, not event like pay a cover charge, mm-hmm. but like the actual action of being near each other and mm-hmm. the smells and the, the fun stuff that's involved. You just recently, so there's there's a few little secret tidbits you pop in and out of your podcast that are very Virginia-based, which you know that I love because this is my home state. You just recently did this whole action, um, the, the overnight even thing with barbecue with a couple of guys that... that or gals that are not, they don't get lauded a lot for how good their barbecue is. Where was that? So we've put on, <laughs> we've put on a couple of, of uh, Virginia style barbecues and whew, like I'm starting to get tired just thinking about it, <laughs> to be really honest with you. But, um, but we've worked with some really cool people like there's um, um, Justin up at, at 1752 barbecue up in Woodstock. He does an amazing job and him and his partner and, you know, they're really just trying to keep it as old school as possible. And it's so good. It's so, so good. Um, we were able to do a couple down in Hampton Roads. Um, uh, one I can't quite talk about yet because it'll be on a show later. You know, this there's year. a show coming. <laughs> so I can't quite talk about that just yet. Um, but a really, uh, amazing, uh, host came down to Virginia to talk about the origins of American barbecue. So this, I think it really is the first time that are a national audience, you'll see Virginia barbecue. And so that'll be out this fall. So it's exciting. Yeah. I'm stoked about it. I mean, I, I may or may not have, have gotten a little bit irpy with her when we first met about <laughs> in face to face, when we first met face to face about who is coming down. So irpy? yeah, I got a little wild, you know, like screamy in the middle of the coffee shop. It's cool. <laughs> Nobody was there but us and people making coffee. So it was fine. Kinda. Um, we're all good. We're all fine now. We've forgotten about it. It's so all. Wh- it's all. It's all over. Herpy. Yeah, that's a word. Um, 
what's next for setting the table? Like, what what do you have upcoming after the 10 episodes, which you pretty much have walked us historically, which is cool, mm-hmm. through, it's almost like an upper outline. Are you going to dig? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so season two will start uh, early to mid next year, uh, pre-production. And so we'll be delving into Gullah Geechee culture. Uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about, and you kind of referenced this earlier, interestingly enough, is cultural memory. And so, you know, I go back to the Yellow Cake article again, where people I've never met have the exact same memory and feelings that I do when I think about Yellow Cake when I was growing up. Why is that? Where does that come from? What are these foods in our community that create that sort of sense? So probably macaroni and cheese would be another. Probably collard greens would be a third. But we're going to explore that and, and talk to chefs and, and try and figure out, well, why is that? So there are some things that we're working on. A couple other things I can't quite talk about either. Um, but, um, but season two is going to be really exciting. Like, I think that it's going to be even better than season one. And, and that's what my goal is, to try and make it even better and richer. Well, I love season one. Of, um, Thank you. I got a little deep into the first two episodes because, you know, the, the first two are – I mean, thank goodness you bring back a little bit, like, because the first two I felt like, oh gosh, this is this is a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I'm gonna bring things back happier, and they, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, this is the greatest thing ever because it's a roller coaster of well, amazing stuff. I think that's. I, I get what you're saying. I think you're probably talking about the farmer episode mm-hmm. in particular with the black farmers. But I think that you can't understand what black farmers are doing today unless you understand what historically has happened to them in the past, sure. and so. Overall, I definitely want the podcast to be celebratory and not something that makes you, that you walk away and you feel like, damn, <laughs> you know. I, I, no, but, but I love that. But at the I same want t- to know. Like, right. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for you for shining light on things that I, I mean, truly would not have dug deeper into if you hadn't started the conversation. Well, that's a massive compliment. So thank you very much for that. I mean, but I do think it's important to, you can't talk about you know, where we are unless you understand how we got here. And sometimes that's not fun. Um, but it's really critical to understanding why things are the way the, the way they are right now. So. so to that point, what were some of the things that you might not have known before starting this project that you learned or were surprised by? Okay. So I think the thing I was most surprised by, um, I think, is episode five uh, with Black Brewers and Distillers. That episode where I kind of knew a couple of things going in, I had no idea that black women were brewers in the 1800s. I had no idea. I've never even thought about it, never even wondered, is that a thing? No, it was a thing, <laughs> you know. It was like the only thing. Well, I like mean, we, we, I think we have black brewers, women mostly, to mm-hmm. think for every single piece of alcohol that we drink. Don't even get me started. <laughs> don't, don't even get me started. But yeah, that was something that I was genuinely shocked about. And then, well, can you give us a little bit of the backstory for folks sure. that have heard the yeah, podcast so, yet? So yeah, so essentially, um, you know, water was kind of tenuous at best to drink at that point. So beer was really common. So even children drank beer. So it's not necessarily what you think of now to drink of you know about the alcohol content and the. And we're talking good. about the eighteen hundreds, you said. Yeah, seventeen eighteen hundreds, and so because of that, beer was pretty much an alternative way to hydrate in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, so because that was considered a domestic, uh, task, that was often, you know, that was women. That's who was doing it. And so, um, I, the first story that I heard about, uh, was Patsy Young. She was, um, a runaway. And so her enslaver actually put in the newspaper this massive ad, which was unheard of at the time. At most, you get two or three lines, but like, this quarter page ad, if not more, basically saying, all right, so she she's run away. This is what she looks like. But specifically called out her skills as a brewer. She may be able to support herself as a brewer. And so she was able to basically support herself by brewing beer in North Carolina. And so she was... She was captured, She, her and her daughter, and she ran away again. And uh, I believe that she was not caught, 
caught after that, which is amazing. But she basically built a life for herself on her brewing capacity and her skill set. And so that's something that I think a lot of people don't talk about. Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm really delving into. Um, distilling is also another thing. Everybody knows about you know, Uncle Nearest because they have just such a phenomenal PR team and, and story. We have Victoria Edie Butler on. She is the master distiller there and a great, great, great granddaughter of Nearest Green, as a matter of fact. And so she was on and was just, I mean, just chills when I was listening to her talk. She never you know, done that sort of thing. She was, and yet she knew exactly what to do when she tasted the whiskey and it went on to win every award known to man, basically. Um, and so, you know, those are the sort of stories that I think we need to kind of start talking about because it's a part of American history. It's a part of our culinary history. Um, but yeah, but people, <laughs> people don't know. And like I said, even though I think I'm a very well-read person, I had no idea and was completely shocked. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't know it all. So it's, it's, when you That's, learn stuff like yeah. that, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'd like somebody to brew a beer and call it Patsy Young. What do you think? I, you know, you read my mind because I thought about that. I'm like, where's the Patsy Young beer? I mean, I, where <laughs> you is know, it? I mean, sessionable ale. I'm, I mean, I'm for it right now. I mean, let's let's serve it in big big crowlers. I mean, it right, hydration central. I'm for it. Don't you think somebody should brew a beer and call it Patsy let's Young? Let's market right now. Here it is. We're right across the street in Scott's edition. Okay. I mean, there it is. Lincoln, can you hear me at Ardent? We'd like a Patsy Young beer, sessionable. <laughs> 3.2. Pool beer. Serve it in cans. Are you living in Richmond now? Mm-hmm. Or are you, sorry, but you're moving to Amelia. Where mm-hmm. have you enjoyed, where do you enjoy dining around town? Uh, everywhere. No. Uh. Um, <laughs> where do I enjoy? I mean, so I really do like a lot of the hole-in-the-wall places. And so, oh my gosh, there's an amazing taco place, La Cabana. Um, the tacos are phenomenal. Like the Al Pastor is good. The Cabeza is, I, I can't even, I actually think I might have to go get one now. Now that I'm talking about Ed it. tacos, man. <laughs> Those are like my favorite. Um, and so they do a really amazing job there. Um, where else do I like to eat? Oh gosh, there's a pho place. I'm awful with names. So uh, there's a pho place on Broad Street across from like Second and Charles. Uh, it's a bigger place, right? And it's right next to Grand Mart. It's really, really good. Their spring rolls are incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I do try to cook, but not eat out all the time. The, the meatloaf and the... You know, We're still not getting the secrets. Out. No, no, no secrets. Uh, I love the Roosevelt. I love what the new chef is doing over there, Le- uh, Leah. She's doing an amazing job there. Um, but yeah, I try to... Try to experience Richmond as much as I can, but um, but I am cooking. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to cook. Do you have a big kitchen in your new Amelia house? It's huge. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's Listen going down. The smile on her face. Right <laughs> it's big. It's, it's, big. it's going down, y'all. <laughs> I really, really love that. So season two begins when? Early next year, we'll start production. So it should be out mid next year. And when is the book? <laughs> I would estimate 2020, late 2023, early 2024. And do we have a title? We do have a title. Can we know it? Or is it Secret Light the Meatloaf? <laughs> That's the meatloaf. Secret. Secret like colon. Secret colon, exactly. Like the meatloaf. <laughs> there you go. You're listening to Eat It, Virginia with Roby Martin, Scott Wise, and Deborah Freeman. This episode of Eat It, Virginia. Eat it, Virginia? (laughs) This episode of Eat It, Virginia? (laughs) No! Oh, God, no.